Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate you spending some time with the show this morning. Um, we have uh, the citizens of Phoenix have uh, th- until January 31st to weigh in on the Phoenix police's proposed use of force policy. They are updating their policy. They put a proposal out for the public to weigh in on. We had one of the assistant chiefs in to join us recently to talk about this, and it was an interesting conversation. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because we are talking about violent crime, and all of us want solutions to the things that we are seeing. I do find it interesting some of the things that have happened, um, and I'm not making light of anything, but when we talk about the shootings, what's happened in California, there have been two mass shootings over the last few days in California, and the governor of California has spoken out about this and said that the Second Amendment is a suicide pact. And I just – I shook my head when I heard the ignorance in that, that statement, and then he talked about the laws in California and how much better California is than other places with the gun laws they have, and so it's safer in California. But But you can't overlook the fact that the reason why he was commenting is these two mass shootings happened in California. So I want to talk about a bigger picture and starting with the use of force policy. I want to say this. I believe that the police officers should be held to a high standard. I believe they know that when they take the job, when they enter that profession with the process that they must go through to become a police officer – you are you are held to a very high standard from the minute that you apply. And I think they only hire about 10% of the people that apply for the job. I mean, that's a pretty low success rate. And then getting those officers, whether they're deputies or troopers, but getting those officers through the program, through the academy, and getting them to graduation, honesty and integrity is drilled into them. Uh, they're taught use of force. They are taught you know how things are that once a customer – a customer uh, – a, a – uh, um, suspect is in custody that the rules change. And what I mean by that is use of force is necessary with somebody fighting. But even if somebody is fighting when they're in handcuffs, the rules are different. And and so they have to learn all these tools of, of, of not only um, de-escalation and how to stop a situation from getting even more heated. They also have to understand to use enough force and use force appropriate to the force that's being used against them and remain safe and alive. And then they also have to realize that de-escalating their own emotions, which I would imagine for me anyway, would be one of the hardest things. That <clears throat> when you're involved in a physical altercation with someone – Uh, The idea that that person is going to take it down a notch and you're going to take it down a notch sometimes is easier said than done. And uh, so there's a lot that goes into policing. But in the end, there are two things that are of concern to me when it comes to policing coming from a law enforcement family. First and foremost, I would say that an officer, deputy, trooper, whatever it is, that an officer um, is focused on going home at the end of their shift along with their squad mates, along with their fellow or sister officers, that they are focused on officer safety. But they also understand that part of their job is life is risking their life for strangers. So it's a very odd mixture of being willing to be in deadly situations and how you're going to handle them. So the second thing is I want them to be capable of winning in those situations and doing what is necessary to take dangerous people off the street. So starting there, because the public is going to have an opportunity to weigh in on this. And I don't think that they would have that the police department. 
And by the way, I was at an event uh, on Friday. I talked a little bit about it yesterday. I was at a leadership and policing event where I was the uh, the moderator or kind of facilitator of the conversation with some of the leaders in law enforcement and in 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 the country, I would say, definitely Arizona. But the chief of police was there. Chief Sullivan was there. And the conversation about officer safety has got to be first and foremost in their minds. So my question isn't about um, whether or not there should be a new use of force policy. But I do wonder how much officer safety plays a role in this because that has to also be in the back of their mind. I would say even in the front of their mind, even when you're making up a use of force policy that is um, viable and one that is justified and it is believed in by most of the citizens, you have to also figure in there that an officer gets themselves into a situation that they may not have started, but by virtue of their job, they get involved in a situation that can become deadly in an instant. Um, there was I met this young officer, and I, I, I apologize to, if he's listening. I cannot remember his name. A few years ago, and he was uh, recovering, thank God, recovering from a wound, um, and he had only been on the job a very short time. There was a traffic stop, I believe, somewhere in the neighborhood of Cave Creek and Cactus, and he pulled a car over. And for absolutely no reason, when he approached the car, the person in that car raised a gun and shot the officer, I believe through the collarbone, um, without warning and without provocation, just shot the officer. So when you hear the phrase routine traffic stop, there is no such thing. So You think about that, at least I hope people think about that, that when you're in a situation where you've been pulled over and a police officer approaches your vehicle and the first few minutes of the interaction seem a bit harsh, seem a bit abrupt, you have to take into account that this cop has no idea who you are or what you're capable of. And I will tell you that 99% of the time, based on that first 10 seconds of an interaction with a police officer will dictate how the rest of it goes. And, you know, I do the same thing every time, and I've been pulled over a few times like some of you have. All my windows go down so they can see into the back seat of my vehicle and the front seat as well. My hand's on the steering wheel. I don't reach for anything until I'm asked to. I always notify them that I have a firearm. I want them to know that their safety is in my mind like it's in their mind. And from there, whatever happens, happens. But you're talking about a use of force policy that needs to be revised, and I'll tell you why, because it always does. 25 years ago, there's a lot of cops that I know that have been on the police department over 20 years. And in the span of that 20 years, think about the technological changes that policing has seen. The upgrades in the bulletproof vest that they wear, but the less lethal options that they have, capstun being one of them or pepper spray. Um, we know about tasers, but the other things that they can employ in a situation possibly that doesn't take people's lives or not nearly as often, but they are able to subdue a suspect. Not only that, but techniques. And, uh, you know, I know this sounds dumb, but with the advent of MMA, we watch uh, MMA all the time, the the hand-to-hand combat solutions that officers have at their disposal now and the training that's available. I just thought it was an interesting topic, and we're going to keep following it as we watch what's going on. Uh, Coming up in a moment, um, Republican governors across the country are now trying to get school choice laws passed modeling Arizona. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you spending some time with the show. Interesting story. This is from the Daily Caller. This is a national story. Red state governors push for school choice legislation across the country. Uh, I've been talking about this topic for a very long time. I think it's a very important one to all of us. And it's one of the things that I, I don't gauge everything by social media, but I do gauge things by uh, or I do um, gauge things by engagement. And I will say that when the school choice conversation comes up, it is one of them. I'm looking at my Twitter account right now. It is one of them that is passionate enough where there is so much interaction that goes on for days. I jump in and talk, but it's it's people on Twitter talking to each other. And I'm getting tagged on these because it started with the show. I love that. I think that the conversation for and against, I think all of us should talk it out. And what I'm seeing on social media is it gets a little snarky as social media does, but it's civil enough where people are describing why they believe or disbelieve this, why they have their stance they do. That to me is the exact civil debate we're supposed to be having. So I'm going to give you my opinion on this uh, because of what we've seen around the country. This was not an issue until the wake-up call of COVID-19 and online learning woke parents up to the fact that schools are not the same in the 21st century as they were in the 1980s when I was in high school. That we have seen politics permeate the classroom at much bigger rates. I can tell you this. I am friends with a couple of my uh, teachers from high school that I keep in touch, namely the dean of students. His name is Bill Geddes. He still has a place in my hometown where I grew up in Fort Myers, Florida. And I had no clue. We had none of us had any clue what political stance our teachers took on anything, even in government classes. Uh, we had a social studies requirement for Americanism versus communism. We called it A versus C. It was all a part of the social studies curriculum, but we had no clue where our our teachers stood politically. Those times have changed, and not for the better. We have way too much of the political movements and ideologies of tolerance and idea, you know, equity and all of these other things instead of just teaching. And it's supposed to improve the classroom and it hasn't. So parents frustrated as they were, were showing up at school board meetings and asking questions that every parent has a right to ask. And in some cases, not all, but in some cases, parents were being shut down. In extreme cases, like the Scottsdale Unified School District, parents were being doxxed as if they They were trying to build a dossier of misdeeds by parents that disagreed with the board president. It was his father doing the doxing. So we've known in extreme cases where this becomes really adversarial. And so many parents have run out in Peoria. Parents have run for school boards now to change the direction school boards have taken. And in other places, parents are saying, I'm done and I'm going to take my kids elsewhere. That's why in Arizona, the expansion of the ESA program. Originally, the empowerment scholarship accounts were for special needs students. So that if you are a parent of a child that had special needs, you could take those and depending on what need your child had, you could take tax dollars that were earmarked for your child and you could direct that money any way you see fit to accomplish the best education for your child. It was a great program. It was nowhere near capacity, but there were a lot of parents that were using it and were happy with the fact that they had the freedom to address their child's unique needs in a way they saw fit. And the premise behind this is when it comes to these children, parents know better than anyone else the unique needs of their child. 
Well, the idea here in Arizona was, and has been accomplished in my opinion, that that's the case for all parents. That children learn differently. I've used my family as an example. My oldest kind of breezed through high school. My youngest took her a little bit of different time. She bounced around a little bit till she found out somewhere that she found somewhere that she fit and did a great job and graduated early. Uh, my nieces and my nephew, the two nieces are already high school graduates in college. My nephew is in high school now, but they're all different. They're all different in how they learn, what they excel at, what they struggle with in, in the classroom. And so it's not a one size fits all. I look at this in Arizona from that prism, that perspective, that this isn't about denouncing teacher organizations and hammering Red for Red and the AEA and the AEU and it is an anti-teacher. It's none of that. It is what I think is the basic right of a parent that they can dictate where their children go. So the naysayers of these programs have said, here's the problem, that there are a lot of parents who already have their kids in private school that are taking advantage of this when they already have their kids in private school and it's taking money out of the public school system. And I would say with all due respect, it's their tax dollars to begin with. If they are already in public school or private school and they choose to use their tax dollars to pay for that, that's what those tax dollars are for. I don't think that it's fair that any parent, whether you are super wealthy or you're a family that has the financial means to make changes to send your child to a private school, but it's very taxing, no pun intended, on your budget. I think that those parents are entitled to spend that tax money any way they want. I don't think it's going to ruin district schools. I think district schools are going to get stronger because of this. I think they're going to become more competitive. But more than anything else, I think they're going to listen more to the parents because they want those parents to keep those kids in those classrooms. And in the end, that benefits the children and it benefits education. It isn't about the teachers. It isn't about the administrators. It isn't about teacher organization. It's about the kids and the parents having control. That's my perspective. To the other people out there that disagree, I want to tell you very honestly, I absolutely love the conversation, and I hope we continue to have it. Coming up in a moment, my friend Pastor Rob Williams joins me. His interesting stories I've been reading over the last couple of weeks about the demise or at least the decline of Christianity in America, churches closing across the country. Is America losing its faith? We'll talk about it next. And strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I've been uh, been reading a lot of stories late recently. I'll give you a couple of headlines. Third of Americans have quit church as attendance fails to recover pre-pandemic numbers, according to a su- survey. Another headline, losing their religion, why U.S. churches are on the decline. Uh, number two in 22, the decline in church attendance in COVID America. Um, and it had me thinking, in the days after 9 11, including the church that I went to in the days after 9-11, churches were leaving their doors open all day long and most of the night as people just wanted to go in and pray because we were in such a tumultuous time in our nation. And it was kind of a silver lining on the dark cloud that people looked like they were turning back to their faith and whatever faith that was. Um, and now it's we're hearing all of these stories about the decline, especially in Christianity in America. So uh, a close friend of mine has pastored big and small churches here in Arizona and been a pastor for years and years and years. Masters in theology from Trinity. His name is Rob Williams. He joins us now. Pastor, welcome back. 
Hey, Mike, how you doing? I'm doing well. Um, you've seen some of these stories. Uh, let's start with, do you believe that this is true? Is there a decline in faith here in the U.S.? Uh, there seems to be a decline in church attendance, that's for sure. And so there would be a significant difference there. That it, could it be that people in the classic way they've attended corporate worship is changing? Yeah, you know, I think what, um, man, I don't know, but thanks for checking in anyway, Mike. No, um, <laughs> no, I'll throw my, you know, why are they, why are they disappearing? That, I'm, you know, there, there's probably a, a lot of reasons which ones are the most. I think it does give the church a chance to rethink um, religion. One of those titles you gave, I think it's from The Guardian, is, uh, yes. you know, People losing their religion, and I, I'm not so sure that's a bad thing. People are turning to a church, and they're getting um, irrelevancy. So let me uh, let me ask a question about that, because you and I had a conversation during COVID when you were pastoring a pretty big church in, in North Phoenix, and you were telling me that what it forced you to do was reach people in a different way, and you were using technology, yeah. and you actually thought that was a good thing. I think it was a great time for churches to stop and think, what are they actually about, and get to the core. It's like God was being really kind to the church to say, I'm going to give you a chance to rethink this and to refocus. Because growing churches today, take the other side, churches that are growing today have very specifically certain things in common. And one of them is clear sense of purpose. Another one is um, emphasis in community. Mm -hmm. And I think so many – you have get a church, uh, so many of them, if they were to disappear, nobody would know they were gone. Um, that's a that's a problem. Yeah, you um, no. you and I have talked about uh, what was the, the D. James Kennedy book um, about the value in Christianity and, and what 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 has happened with people of faith around the world. In your opinion, what would happen if there was to be a demise, at least a significant decline in Christianity or people of faith? What would that do to America? In your opinion. You know, the book you referred to, that great old Presbyterian preacher, uh, D. James Kennedy, that, you know, from hospitals to education institutions, the things that came out of and born out of Christian people is quite intense. I don't I don't know. I think that the church has just lost that connection. People don't come to our church because they want to be with me. They want to come to church because we're the vehicle to get into a relationship with God. And so the Gen X or yeah, Gen Z and the millennials are showing up and they're seeing churches that are religious and there's there's nothing to them it's like they're existing for themselves and wisely we have a lot of people that are saying that actually doesn't meet any of my needs so you look at some of these thriving churches and i'll tell you one that is is a uh, lds lds they're not growing like they have in the past but why are they still growing and i think it's because any one of us i'm not lds any one of us could still look at them and i have a clear view of what their purpose is i know what they're doing and i know their involvement in community they do wonderful things and giving a hand up for people well compare that to so many churches today they seem to exist for themselves and in the process 
you, you know, wisely, people are going, I'm not going back to that. I had a break. My life didn't change. I'm just as, um, just as content than I was before, then why would I go back? And I think it's a sad commentary on a church's uh, condition rather than a desire need for people to be in a relationship with God. That desire is still there, in my opinion, Mike. Every church has the same mission statement, and it's basically what Jesus left them with. Tell the lost world about me. The only way to a relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. We come into a relationship with him, and we want to help the community then. Compassion and love. Take churches like Pure Heart over on 43rd uh, in the North Valley. Their involvement in community, if they disappeared, there'd be a whole lot of hurting people around. Well, that's why they're growing in a time when a lot of places aren't. I want to be a part of a winning team, and I want a relationship with God through my church. I don't just need a relationship with churchy people. So then the last question is, if this is true, if what you're saying is true, and I believe you, I agree with you, that if people still have that, they are still seeking faith, they still have faith, and they are still seeking that relationship, where are they going? If they're not going to church, where are they going to meet that need? Boy, that is a really good question. Um, you know, again, we're not talking, I'm, I don't know that much about Islam. I don't know that much about Judaism. But as far as Christianity goes, God left the message with the local body. So that is where they're supposed to find it. And we've lost uh, we've lost our way. So where else do they find it? You know, I don't know. Their alphabet soup may spell something. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. It's supposed to have been us. All along, it's supposed to be us. So I think the challenge is all is laid back onto us. Um, Truett Cathy from Chick-fil-A. Yeah. He, he had that amazing line where he said, if we, uh, we need to just worry about getting better, not bigger. Because if we keep getting better, customers will demand that we get bigger. Well, they better not get any better because there's a line two cars deep all the way around the stores as it is. I know, this, and then they need to be open on Sunday, yeah. too. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm a man of the cloth, but come on, I do need chicken sandwich on Sunday. So if they can, if they can lose some of their conviction, I would be far more satisfied. Oh, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why I like hanging out with you so much. You make me laugh at the worst possible things. So, um, Oh, my gosh. So I think the church needs to get better. I think the church, this is the time for them to stop attracting people to ourselves and let's attract people to a living God who loves and cares and forgives access through Jesus and let's all get out of the way and that's what people want let's promote that and not ourselves excellent point uh, I really appreciate the time and your expertise and I hope you'll come back on sometime you're always gracious when I ask you to come on you do when I ask you these crazy questions so thanks for doing it again and I'll talk to you soon Hey, Mike, thanks a lot. All right, that is Rob Williams, uh, pastor here in town, and uh, just someone that I respect a, a, an immense amount. He is just such a good man. His wife, Sarah, their whole entire family, they've dedicated their lives to ministry. But more than that, they've dedicated their lives to people. And uh, it's just, it's fun. He's such a fun guy. Anyway, what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to switch completely. What famous song... From the past, has activists enraged? I'm going to give you details coming up in just a moment.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, a talk of faith with my friend Rob Williams, and I appreciate Rob coming on the show for a few minutes. Um, I wish all of you could know him like I do. He is just a wealth of information, probably the smartest person I've ever known, um, but also as humble and down to earth and just a great guy. So the conversation for me, I hope it was interesting to you. I just wanted to talk about it for a few minutes. We go to the opposite extreme with something here. Um, This to me is totally absurd. Absolutely absurd when you take a time um, when you take a time from years and years ago and behavior that was years and years ago and you try to hold today hold it to the same standard of of culture now that we have today. Here's the example: How many of you, show of hands, unless you're driving, keep your hands on the wheel. How many of you love Aretha Franklin? How could you not? Aretha Franklin is an icon in music. I mean, just of every generation, phenomenal. She had a song called A Natural Woman. You make me feel like a natural woman. Transgender activists hate this song and want it stopped from being played anywhere. I mean, is that the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? If you are someone that's an activist, a transgender activist, and you believe the world needs to change um, their their thought process and feelings toward people that are transgender, that's wonderful. This is absurd. I want you to hear something. I'm going to take you back. This is almost one minute long. You're going to recognize the voice, but I'll tell you who it is anyway. This is Mr. Rogers. I don't even know how long ago. It was in black and white. Mr. Rogers, the most popular children's show on television at the time, along with Sesame Street. Are fancy on the outside. Some are fancy on the inside. Yes, sir. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. Uh-oh. If you were born a boy, you stay a boy. Uh-oh. Girls are girls right from the start. Uh-oh. If you were born a girl, you stay a girl. Uh-oh. And grow up to be a lady. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. And so is mine. Only girls can be the mommies. Uh-oh. Only boys can be the daddies. Yes, sir. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy. They'd hang him. Let's be honest. He would be he would be the the poster person for the cancel culture if he did that today. Most popular children's show on television in that generation. Aretha Franklin's song is from 1968. I'm going to give you my last example. I've used this before of who you cancel and who you don't. The fact that this transgender activist organization that wants this song gone is absolutely ridiculous. Go and read, and I've read most, probably not all, but I have read most of what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has written. Most of it. If you go back and listen or read and look it up, you can check me on this. Martin Luther King Jr. uh, hated homosexuality. He thought it was a sin. He thought it was an abomination against God. He was very outspoken about it. Had Dr. King lived into the 21st century, 
Do you think that he would have maintained the same message or do you think as culture changed, he may have – I'm not saying he would have changed his mind completely. Do you think he would have moderated his message? Number one. Number two, let's go with the idea of this this Norwegian transgender organization. Are we going to take down the street signs for Martin Luther King Boulevard? Are we going to take down the statue and the memorial in Washington, D.C. and the other memorials around the country? Are we going to cancel MLK Day because of his stance in the 1960s on that issue? You can't. But isn't it interesting that this organization wants to cancel Aretha Franklin for something she sang in the 1960s? This is the absurdity of this. It's the absurdity of what happens with people like this. I just thought I'd point it out. It was fascinating to me. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, who's to blame for rising gas prices? We'll hear the White House press secretary and the energy secretary give you their opinions next.